We are at eight minutes after five o'clock here on the Saturday <clears throat> Saturday morning show. Orion Samuelson with you, and uh, quite a few other guests will be stopping by between now and six o'clock, and uh, uh, getting a little bit of a raw throat, but it's nothing serious. I get that once or twice a year, but it's good to have you with us this morning. Uh, we'll be talking gardening with Jim Fazell. And uh, we'll be talking markets with Naomi Bloom of Stuart Peterson in West Bend, Wisconsin. And uh, we're going to be talking about the number of uh, packing plants, meat processing plants that have shut down this week because we've had quite a few of them that could eventually affect our food supply. But uh, so far, we still have more than enough food. And uh, one of the things I wanted to note with you before we get to Jim Fazell <clears throat> is the uh, fact that uh, we're doing what we can to help farmers and food banks. And uh, the USDA yesterday laid out its plan to award contracts to the private sector to purchase meat dairy, and produce for distribution to the nation's food banks and other nonprofits addressing hunger. The USDA authorized to spend $3 billion on hunger relief during the COVID-19 pandemic. The American Farm Bureau Federation and Feeding America, the country's largest hunger relief organization, sent a letter to the USDA requesting a nimble approach to quickly and effectively get food from America's farms to the nation's food banks. And the uh, following statement uh, made by Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall, who said, We applaud the USDA for empowering the private sector to help solve the challenges associated with harvesting, packaging, and transporting millions of pounds of food from farms to food banks and other nonprofits working to ensure that no one goes hungry. And uh, I've been getting a lot of email and uh, questions from people who say, when there are hungry people in the U.S., why are we dumping milk and why are we plowing vegetables under? Because once the cows have been milked, you have to have somewhere to put the milk. And uh, with the uh, cutback in consumption, because as I've mentioned here several times, the biggest buyer of fluid milk in the U.S. is the National School Lunch Program. They buy more milk than any other institution. And when that milk is out of the cow, you got to put it somewhere. And uh, if you can't sell it, if you're not consuming it, that's really why dairy farmers who have been faced with so many challenges, particularly with the price of milk, that uh, where do you put it? Because it costs money to haul it to market. It costs money to produce the milk. And so that's one of the reasons why, when there's nowhere to put it and it's not being consumed, you have to dump it. And that takes me way back to the 1950s again, when because we had so much fluid milk that we could not consume it, 
And so farmers simply had to dump it. But I'm going to run down the list of uh, meat processing plants that uh, closed down this week because there were quite a few of them because when the hogs or cattle are ready to go to market, you can't keep feeding them and putting more weight on them because then the uh, meat product just doesn't become as flavorful or is uh, easy to prepare. And so, uh, yeah, it's a strange situation where with hungry people, we still have to dump food and dump milk particularly. So we'll talk more about that as we move along here this morning. And uh, we're going to finally get to the gardening season. And Jim Fazell will be talking about some things you can do during this time that you're waiting to get your gardens planted. Because suddenly, the great uh, pastime, not pastime, but the great event you can have as a family is gardening. Grow your own food. Teach your kids where their food comes from and uh, help them learn about that means of providing and producing food for the family. So a lot to talk about here this morning. And Jim Fazell was standing by, hoe in hand and cultivator in hand to get going with the gardening season. So we'll get to Jim and his comments when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. We say good morning to Jim Fazell, and I guess my first question is, will we ever get some seed planted outdoors this spring here in the Midwest? You know, and it's an amazing year. Actually, by listening to the weather reports, the people keep saying, the reporters keep saying, oh, the temperatures are warm, It's that we've had a warm spring and so forth. Uh, not so. Actually, if you look at the degree days, and I get a report every week from the from the Illinois Water Survey on that, uh, we are about 30 to 40 percent behind on degree days. That means it's been cold. And until we get the degree days accumulating, things like uh, soil drying out, uh, crab apple trees blooming are red, but I thought it was going to bloom here a week ago, and the buds are still sitting there, but not, there's only a couple of them out. Uh, you know, usually by Arbor, or, uh, Arbor Day, which was yesterday, um, Crab apples are in bloom. Most of the spring flowers are up. This year, uh, the crab apples I see around here, the buds are swelling a bit, but I don't see any that are open. In fact, most of them are in the still, still in the pink stage. So we're quite a long ways from accumulating enough degree days to really get out and do some planting. Now, the average date of last frost is next week, but uh, and I don't think we're going to have any frost after that by the way things are going, but you never know. We didn't think we would have snow in April, and we had it twice. So who knows what it's going to do. Anyway, nice week coming up. Uh, it's probably going to be a little warmer than uh, than it has been, but still not up to the normal 63 from what I understand. But, it, but it's going to be wet again. Yet it's a, an interesting week because something coming up is this week is May Day. You know, when I was a kid, we had a lot of May Day celebrations. I know you were from Scandinavia, and your family probably had May Poles, and uh, we did too when we were kids. Even though we didn't have a lot of Norwegians in our area, <laughs> we had May Poles, and and the kids, especially the little grammar school kids, like first and second grade, maybe even kindergarten, would go out and run around the maypole and wind up a ribbon around the maypole. But the other thing that we always did when we were kids, and I still do this, is the surprise flower bouquets. 
you know, we have a lot of shut-ins right now. There are a lot of people that can't get out, a lot more than normal. And some right. of the older folks who would be out doing things are stuck in because of the stay-at-home orders that we have from the governor. So there are a lot of people that uh, would appreciate just a little bit of spring, even though there isn't much going on outside. What we like to do is to pick up some small bouquets of flowers. If you have some blooming in your yard, you can use those too. But if you go to the neighborhood florist or to the chain stores, you can get little bouquets of flowers. Uh, a couple, three of them would be enough to take out and, and give some of your neighbors uh, a little bit of joy. You take the little bouquet and you hang it on the door outside their house, ring the doorbell and take off so they don't know who delivered it. When they come out, they find this nice little May Day surprise. It's a wonderful thing to do. Um, we've done this for neighbors in our area. We're going to be doing some more of it, I'm sure, this week. And uh, I would recommend that, that uh, those of us who can get out, get out and get some flowers for some of the neighbors who aren't as fortunate as we are. Now, I want to talk a little bit. I think I'm going to talk a little bit about lawn care right now. It's the thing that's been on my mind. Uh, the grass is growing. It's not as vigorous as it might have been, but it's growing. And there's some things that need to be done. The first thing that I always think about when the grass is trying to grow, if you go out and look at your grass and it's kind of a yellow color and there's some areas that still have not begun to recover from the, from the uh, uh, desiccation that it took during the winter, the tops being dried off, not the roots, but the tops, uh, fertilizer is a help. Most of the fertilizer material that we buy at the stores today contains primarily nitrogen, which is what it takes to grow grass leaves. It doesn't help the roots too much, but it does make leaves. So if you have not fertilized, you want to get some fertilizer and put it on your lawn. Uh, if you look at the package when you buy the fertilizer, you will see exactly how much needs to be put down of the, of the material that you buy. And if you look at the spreader that you have, or if the spreader that you have is on the label, you can tell exactly how to set it. So this should be no secret, how you set your spreader, how you set, uh, how much seed, uh, how much uh, fertilizer you put in the seeder, the spreader, uh, to do the job that you need. Now, there's always a question that comes up about the crabgrass preventers, and we have a lot of fertilizer materials that contain the crabgrass preventer in addition to the fertilizer. This is fine. It can be put down at this time of year. Normally, we suggest it being put down when the forsythias are in bloom, and they're in bloom. Now, a caution on this. Uh, if you have uh, seeding going on for some repair and the seedlings are not up yet, you need to be very careful if you're going to use crabgrass preventer because it will prevent the germination of your good grass seeds as well as the weed seeds. So wait about uh, three to six weeks before you try to use any of the crabgrass preventer materials. Actually, by then it's going to be a little bit late for crabgrass prevention. But if you have your grass up growing and in good shape with a good full canopy and very few bare areas, you're not going to have a lot of trouble with crabgrass. Um, broadleaf weeds, and we have a lot of broadleaf weeds which have reared their ugly heads. In fact, one of the things that's really attractive right now, although some people won't admit it, is the numbers of dandelions that are in bloom. They're beautiful. In open areas where there are these nice golden little heads reflect the sunshine, they let us know that spring is on its way. But if they're in your front lawn, most people don't like them. Now, unless you have a full yard of dandelions, you probably are better off to use your old dandelion digger and go out and dig out the few that are there. We have a dandelion digger. Actually, Jane uses it more than I do now. Uh, she grabs it before I can. But goes out and digs out the dandelions. Uh, the dandelion digger belonged to my grandfather, and it still works. It works just as well today as it did then. It hasn't worn out. It's not out of date. It's not illegal. So your old-fashioned dandelion digger is one of your best friends. Digs out other things besides dandelions. It can dig out plantain and uh, other kinds of 
single stem things probably won't dig out vines very well, but it will dig out a lot of things that that uh, will bother you a little bit. Uh, if you're going to mow your lawn uh, and you see some of these things out there, carry your little dandelion digger with you, and before you mow across them and take that flower head off, dig the thing out, leave it where your mower can pick it up. It'll shred it, and you can put it into your compost just like uh, any other grass would, would be. Now, herbicides. Herbicides can be used for broadleaf weeds, and there are herbicide materials that are mixed with the fertilizers. Um, you can put them down if you have a lot of broadleaf weeds in your lawn. Now, if you only have a couple of them, I would use one of these ready-to-use spot-treating uh, herbicides. Um, you can buy these at most garden centers and hardware stores. Uh, they tell you on the label of what you can use them on and what not to use them on. Be sure that you get one that is not for general kill. Now, our old friend Roundup, which contained glyphosate, would kill everything. Some of the newer materials with the name Roundup on them are used on grass as well because they don't kill everything. They're not glyphosate anymore. Anyway, uh, ready to use, you can spot treat. If you see a couple of weeds out in the lawn and you don't want to use your dandelion digger, go out and just squirt those. Be careful if the wind is blowing that the drift doesn't get on something that you want because it, it would uh, actually damage them as well. Now, I mentioned reading the labels. Labels are very important, and they're not on there just for a cover on the side of the package. You really need to read labels. They tell you what you can treat and what you can't treat, how, when, what, and so forth. All the information you need to use these herbicides safely is right there on the label. And there's no excuse for damaging your plant material because you used something that shouldn't have been used in the manner that you used it and you didn't read the label. And we see this happening, not just with home gardeners, but also with professionals who failed to read the label and did some damage to their plant material. Don't want that to happen. The last thing I want to mention is mowing. Make sure your ground is dry enough before you go out and run the mower across it or you're going to make ruts. If you haven't mowed yet, set your mower down uh, half an inch lower for the first time. Cut off all, all the old dead leaves and so forth, grass leaves, this will give the new green leaves a chance to get up above them. Set your mower right back up to the original height or your, your proper height, which we suggest is at two and a half inches. And then when you mow, mow enough to remove only a third to half of the blade each time. Um, I mentioned the seed that we planted earlier that uh, should be coming up right now. That's the thing that you want to avoid if you're using crabgrass preventer. Uh, if that grass has been, gotten up to where you can mow it, it's safe to use the crabgrass preventers. Anyway, spring's having a hard time getting here, but it's on its way. And uh, get out and enjoy it every chance that you get. Well, I like what you and Jane do. You get out and take a walk every morning. So that's good practice, my friend. Yeah, it is. It's enjoyable to do, and even if it's sprinkling a little bit, you put on your slicker and out you go and enjoy the day. So can we expect to talk to you again next week here on the Saturday Morning Show? That's the plan. I look forward to it. We do, too, and uh, judging from the emails from listeners, a lot of them look forward to it. The one question that I've been asked a great deal this past week is how soon should I mow the lawn for the first time? When it gets up to mowing height, which is uh, a half again as tall as the two and a half inches, so when it gets up to three to four inches, it's time to mow it. And, uh, in fact, if you're going to cut it down lower at the first time, by the time the grass gets up to three inches, I'd get out there with the mower 
and mow all its stuff off, including the brown stuff that was damaged over the winter, and get the grass ready to go. It'll look a lot neater. And while you're out there, you might consider edging when you do it the first time. I didn't mention that, but that sure will make the lawn look a lot neater than it does with the grass growing over the sidewalk or the driveway. Edge it, and then mow it, and then set your mower right back up to the two and a half inches, and you're good for the rest of the season. Okay, I've got my calendar. I've got my directions from Jim Fazell. Always a pleasure to talk to our specialist in ornamental horticulture. He'll be with us next week on the Saturday Morning Show. It's 27 minutes after 5 o'clock. Thank you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. And before we get to what Samuelson says, let me talk a little bit about pork supplies and sets getting so much attention with the announcement of the shutting down of meat processing plants across the country this week. U.S. supplies of frozen pork fell in March before the pandemic forced meat processors to close slaughterhouses, setting the stage for inventories to tighten up even more. Because processors have closed major pork and beef Plants following the spread of the virus among employees. The latest shutdown announcement came this past week, midweek, when top meat supplier Tyson Foods said it would close a plant that accounts for about 5% of U.S. pork production. Smithfield Foods, the world's biggest pork processor, has warned the United States is moving, to quote them, perilously close to the edge in supplies for grocers. Cold storage facilities held 621.9 million pounds of pork as of March 31st, and that is down 27 million pounds from February, according to USDA. That exceeded the typical decline of about 11 million pounds for the month over the last five years, and that's according to our friend Rich Nelson, who is a chief strategist for broker Allendale in McHenry, Illinois. Rich predicted inventories could drop another 20 uh, vital market outlets for farmers and further contributes to the disruption of the nation's pork supply. Affected Waterloo team members will continue to be paid while the plant is closed. The timing of resumption of operations will depend on a variety of factors, including the outcome of team member testing. Tyson Foods has been focused on COVID-19 since January when it formed a company coronavirus task force. It has since implemented numerous measures to protect workers. One of the first food companies to start taking worker temperatures and the company started efforts to secure a supply of protective face coverings before the CDC recommended them and now requires their use in all facilities. Tyson Foods' other meat and poultry plants uh, currently continue to operate, but some are running at reduced levels of production, either uh, due to the planned implementation of additional worker safety precautions or worker absenteeism. But all week long, I kept getting headlines, Tyson Foods plans to close Indiana pork plant as workers undergo coronavirus testing 
and Tyson Foods to indefinitely suspend operations in Waterloo, Iowa, to uh, be able to install safety measures to protect workers at the plants, and uh, Tyson Foods to indefinitely suspend Waterloo operations. Those are the headlines that I've been getting all week. And uh, Smithfield Foods said Friday it will suspend operations at its plant in Monmouth, Illinois, the pork processing facility next week after some employees tested positive for COVID-19, adding to the already strained U.S. meat supplies. But it's been that kind of a week where practically every day we get another announcement that uh, a plant is uh, shutting down. Because, again, when you're working in a processing plant, uh, you are certainly uh, closer than six feet to the person next to you and uh, quite a few of the COVID-19 episodes have uh, occurred in meat packing plants across the country. 28 minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Time for us to say welcome to Samuelson Says talking about a great new hobby because of the COVID-19. I'll talk about gardening after this message. Right now, we're all safer at home. But should you need a new vehicle, Hyundai has options to shop online, and a participating dealer can deliver it right to you. Plus, you'll make no payments for four months. To find out more, go to buyhyundai.com. Get 0% APR for up to 84 months on the 2022 Sun or Elantra, now with complimentary maintenance. Visit buyhyundai.com or your local Chicago and Northwest Indiana Hyundai dealer online today. Offer ends May 4th, 2020. Call 224-661-0068 for details. This is the year of the COVID-19, obviously, but it's also the year of a blooming rebound in home gardening around the world. In Russia, citizens are isolating in out-of-town cottages that's typical of the Russian population with uh, small plots of land and planting a garden as they did in the days of the old Soviet Union. In Singapore, which is heavily dependent on imported food. They are planting gardens on rooftops of buildings to produce food. In Britain, showers, uh, shoppers who uh, can't find seed packages in the stores are asking for advice on how to pull seeds from tomatoes and squash and other vegetables that they purchase at a supermarket for seed that they can get from the fruit rather than uh, the uh, going without seed to plant in garden. But here in the U.S., furloughed workers and people working from home are looking for activity to fill their free time after sporting events, theaters, bars, and restaurants were shut down. The best-known seed company in the United States the 144-year-old Burpee Seed Company, whose catalogs are probably arriving in your mailbox uh, about now, but they sold, that company, 144 years old, sold more seed in the month of March than any other month in its history. But 
you might take up gardening because it's a great opportunity to spend time with family, a great opportunity to uh, teach young people where their food actually comes from beside the box in the supermarket, and it's a learning experience. And so I would highly recommend that you take a look at the gardening profession or hobby or whatever you want to call it and produce some of your own food, teach your youngsters how they can garden. As one uh, listener said, it's amazing to see what uh, kids learn from planting a potato. They learn something they didn't learn before. It's always good when we can add to our knowledge, and we can certainly do that by producing food and flowers, because we get both from the gardening hobby and the gardening scene. So uh, give it a try with your family and your spouse and learn how to produce some of your own food. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. At 19 minutes before 6 o'clock news time here on WGN Radio, and uh, Mike Pearson is going to talk markets again this week uh, with uh, Naomi Bloom of Stuart Peterson in West Bend, Wisconsin. So uh, we'll take a look at uh, Naomi's feelings about the marketplace and with Mike Pearson doing the questioning when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Naomi, what is happening here in the markets as you look at the hog market in particular? Yeah, with the hog complex, it's, it's just such a travesty as far as the packing plants closing down or slowing production due to COVID concerns with the workers. So what's happening is that those hogs aren't able to get to slaughter. So they're staying at farms, they're getting heavier, and we are only um, slaughtering at a fraction of what we normally would be able to produce right now. So it's having two effects. We're seeing the futures prices drop substantially. Yet when you look at the pork cutout value itself, because there's actual demand for pork product because of the grocery stores needing product, the pork cutout value has actually pushed a little higher up to about 72.61. This is the highest it's been in a month. But the futures price is still trading at a substantial discount just because of the thought of, in the big picture, the hogs are getting heavier because they aren't going to slaughter. And we aren't just having that export market move as much as we'd hope for this uh, time of year. So if we can get those production lines back up and running, that should help the hog industry immensely. Now, is it going to take the production lines running at full speed to really arrest this downturn in hog prices? Or do you think we're going to find a value price at some point that's going to bring buyers back into the futures market? Well, I think it's both, Mike. Um, thinking about exports, boy, it's pretty cheap right now. And if I was an end user on a global capacity, I would absolutely be looking to step in right now and be securing my longer term needs because of the value. Um, but also we get to the point where now we have hog prices historically as cheap as they've been in, in a decade or more. And so this is, just like you said, some good value. Um, so we don't have any for sure bottoming signals yet, but I would think that pretty soon we start to see our low sooner than later. Now, we're also hearing very similar concerns on the beef side. We continue to see plants across the country and, in fact, in North America completely are closing down. They're closing the doors for cleaning, for you know dealing with worker absenteeism. Do you think we're going to continue to see a slide in the beef futures markets as well? 
I, well, that one I actually feel like we're getting closer to the low sooner than later. The futures contracts are trading at a substantial discount to the cash market. If you look at where April and June cattle are at, we're looking between 83, 87. But the cash markets are more trading like between 93 and 99. So the futures are at too much of a discount to the cash market. And there the box beef cutout values are the highest that they've ever been. A new all-time high yesterday at 275. So that's really saying that the demand is there for the plants that are still up and running. And the domestic market, I feel, is still strong for the consumers at home. It's really a hamburger, tacos, spaghetti, things that are easy to make with your kids home. And so that's where the demand is at. And then, of course, once we can get the restaurants back up and running, I think that we will find our low very, very soon. So I'm a little bit more optimistic there on the beef side of things. But again, we're just at the slower mark just because of the plants being closed. How do you manage risk in this kind of environment, Naomi Blue? That's a great question. Um, So as prices were working lower, absolutely having those hedges in place was a very important thing for producers. Um, I think a lot of people have been lifting hedges or rolling those down. And so going forward, um, if we can get any rally on the markets, we'll want to, of course, be making sure we're able to lock in any cash sales um, or see if there's an opportunity down the road to be locking in more prices with put options, but again, down the road a little bit. Naomi, we had more data out from the EIA, the Energy Administration, earlier today showing that ethanol production continues to plummet, and we're seeing corn basis drop right along with it. What's your outlook here for the ethanol industry, given the market signals you've seen? Yeah, that's just an unfortunate situation. Uh, With the big drop that crude oil prices had earlier in the week, um, ethanol just continuing to stay lower with it, with lower demand in general, because we're just, as Americans, aren't driving like we used to. So that demand loss is substantial. Now, looking at the corn market, and I do wonder if part of that demand loss is fully priced in. So most people feel that ethanol production is going to be down for a month, maybe two months until the economy can get going again. And so with corn futures May contract getting it on a 301 earlier in the week, it does feel like the market has priced some of that in. But I would see that you're going to continue to see ethanol production at lower levels for probably another month, of course, just until we can get the energy use back up. Now, Naomi, we've got farmers in the field. We are starting to see planting progress tick up, especially in the upper Midwest. As these growers are planting a crop and they're thinking ahead to that, uh, that harvest, looking at the December corn crop, what is your advice for making some marketing decisions here this time of year? Well, normally, this is actually when we find our seasonal low. And if you look back at the past decade, a lot of times corn prices, four out of the past 10 years, have found their low in April. Once they found the low in May and twice they found the low in June. So this is the time of year where the market does have a tendency to find a bottom. So as far as making more sales, I would actually consider to step back and wait just a little bit. The market does feel like it's trying to find a bottom and find the spring low. The biggest indicator going forward is gonna be that May USDA report. That's when we're gonna have an update of the old crop production because those uh, states, uh, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Michigan, they're all getting resurveyed for the harvested acres and production. So that might give us some supportive news. But I will say that because of the demand loss on ethanol, and unless China shows up soon to do some buying, any rally we see this summer needs to be a very, very important hedging opportunity for that new crop without question. And on the soybean side, we continue to see a very, very strong uh, soybean crush, and yet bean prices, you know, continue to struggle along in here. Do you think the same uh, trend is in place for soybeans? 
Yeah, soybeans this week actually have put in more of a short-term bottoming signal with an outside reversal, soybean futures and soybean meal. So it's a mixed factor of fundamentals. On the friendly side, soybean meal demand is just fantastic right now. Of course, because we don't have the DDGs from ethanol, so we're feeding more meal. And the soybeans, though, themselves, our exports are still a little bit behind. So if we can see the export pace pick up, if by chance there's some sort of a weather issue this summer, soybean prices have a big reason to run higher. Um, but again, right now, I'm really keeping an eye on the soybean meal because that seems to be the market that has the most momentum for the soybean complex. Naomi, real quick, before we let you go, the wheat market has been volatile. It has been stepping back this week. Is that a trend you expect to continue? I think it's just trying to wait and see. It's going to trade sideways for just a little bit longer, waiting to see how the weather is around the world and how our crop is going to be coming out of in the southern plains. So the wheat market, though, um, on longer term charts had put in some friendly signals last month. And again, we're just waiting to see global weather to see if it has any further legs to run higher or not. Fantastic. Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Mike. 11 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and it's still a little bit chilly outside, but it's sort of been a, a, a cool week and uh, a wet week in some parts of the Midwest. But uh, let me talk about the uncertainty that's uh, on the minds of all of us, whether we're in farming and gardening or washing the car, whatever it is we're planning to do this week, because we are going to continue to be challenged with the uncertainty of the summertime schedule. We're not too far away from county fair time in the Midwest, and we're not too far away from state fair time. But the question is, will those county and state fairs be able to take place because of the six-foot distance between people? Because if you go to a county fair, you're going to be a lot closer than that as you ride the Ferris wheel, the merry-go-round, and have the cotton candy. So that's going to be the big question mark on the minds of county four boards of or county fair boards of directors and state fair boards of directors. We've already mentioned the fact that uh, the Wisconsin FFA convention scheduled for June in Wisconsin will be postponed. We've already confirmed that the opening weekend of June Dairy Month Traditionally, for 78 years, folks in McHenry County have honored the dairy industry at Harvard, Illinois, with the Harvard Milk Day celebration. That will not be held the first weekend of June, as is tradition. It will be held October 16, 17, and 18 to hopefully get by the pandemic and crowds can begin to gather again, whether it's county or state fairs or whether it's the uh, festivals to honor agricultural commodities and groups. All in all, it's up <clears throat> up in the air how much are we going to be able to do. And uh, it's a real challenge. I've talked to several of my friends who are on uh, the county fair boards in their respective counties, and they're saying, you know, what do we do? Do we book a carnival with the rides and do we book the entertainment with the activities for the stage? 
so much that has to be determined. And if they will then postpone or cancel completely. And so keep an eye on it. We'll keep you posted on the events that we learn about that are being postponed or canceled because of the pandemic. The uh, Farm Progress Show, which this year will be held as early as you can hold the Farm Progress Show, September 1, 2, and 3. That's the schedule for the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year. And uh, they have planted some of the corn this past week on the Farm Progress Show fields in Boone County, uh, or in Boone, Iowa. Uh, Matt Youngman, who is the manager of the Farm Progress Show, keeps us pretty well posted on that. But in addition to the Farm Progress Show, you have Husker Harvest Days out in Nebraska. You have the Ohio Farm Science Review that's in oh, near Ohio State in, uh, in, in Ohio. And uh, then you've also got the Sunbelt Expo down south. You've got the Big Iron Show up in North Dakota. So there is a lot riding on what this pandemic is going to do and how long it's going to hang around. So uh, keep an eye on those schedules because, as I said, I'll probably spend more time on the air talking about postponements and outright cancellations because of the coronavirus. But uh, be glad that in addition to farming, you don't have to make the decision on whether or not you hold the county fair or the state fair or what other whatever other event you've got in your community this year. So keep an eye on all of those activities and we'll help you stay posted as much as possible. State FFA conventions are also activities that uh, are going to be affected depending on how soon uh, we can clear this up or we can, again, feel safe to go out. But uh, be glad that somebody else has to make that decision uh, besides you because I'd hate to do it because with the FFA state conventions, that's the uh, three days of the summer that FFA members come together for state conventions and to honor FFA members with the stars of uh, the various state FFAs and uh, and county fairs. I call them the Super Bowl of 4-Hers and FFA members at those county fairs. And uh, I'd sure hate to think we couldn't have a state fair this year at Springfield or at Milwaukee. But again, I come back to the overused statement, how can we be sure uh, with any real advance notice? And you think about the vendors who go from county fair to county fair. You think about the carnival rides who move their equipment from county fair to county fair. And uh, it's normally a busy time for those folks, but it might not be this summer. But we'll keep you posted. Meanwhile, let's look at where we traded this week in the markets at the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. Corn and soybean futures fell Friday after three straight days of gains. Investors taking some risk out of the market due to demand uncertainty stemming from the coronavirus pandemic. 
Wheat futures also were lower with the forecast for some rain in key production areas of Europe, putting pressure on the market and triggering sales of contracts that sank through key technical points. Recent gains, technical-based and underlying fundamentals, remained uncertain even with a recent spate of export deals We have been on a pretty good run here in the last couple of days, and now we are taking some profits, according to Jack Scoville, who is the analyst at Price Futures Group in Chicago. Board of Trade July corn futures were down three cents to end the week at $3.23 a bushel. And uh, soybean futures settled down seven and a quarter cents yesterday, eight dollars thirty nine cents a bushel. Finally, uh, some activity on the export market. China this week bought one hundred and thirty six thousand tons of U.S. soybeans. That, according to a USDA announcement yesterday, it's the third straight day in a row that an export deal with the world's top soy importer has been announced. Chinese buyers have booked 608,000 tons of U.S. soybeans this week alone, all for delivery in the 2019-20 marketing year as the soybean futures fell to an 11-month low due to fallout from, you guessed it, the pandemic. And we took it on the chin yesterday, pushed down by forecast rains for the dry sections of Western Europe. So that all came to play in the market on the final trading day of the week. As far as livestock futures are concerned, we ended the day yesterday with the June lean hog contract down 30 cents, a hundredweight, $51.32. The October live hog contract uh, ended the day up 25 cents, a hundredweight. And the April feeder cattle contract ended higher yesterday, up uh, 70 cents a hundredweight. So where do we go this week? Uh, It depends on how many more meat processing plants get shut down. It uh, also will depend on weather because now the uh, farmers are waiting to get out and to get planted as we said the farm progress show grounds in boone iowa uh, did get some corn planted this week so uh, that's the other thing that you have to plant far ahead because the farm progress show and the husker harvest days and the ohio farm science review are so dependent on good crop weather to mature the crops in time for the shows to take place. So uh, you're really going to have to uh, be a wizard at figuring out what the pandemic is going to do and what the weather is going to do. I talked to one farmer yesterday who said anything would be better than last spring because, well, I don't have to remind you of the kind of planting season we had last year and the kind of unusual weather we had last year. So it's just one more of the challenges that our food producers, and I thank God for them, they put up with the weather and the markets and everything else to get the crop in the ground and to get the crop harvested and get it to the shelves in the supermarkets. Well, 
we're out of time this morning. As always, we thank you for listening. We thank Bob Ferguson, our engineer, for doing the hard work on this show. But again, we look forward to seeing all of you next week here on the Saturday Morning Show.